not to start laughing mid-prayer when he ran out in the service. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18 this morning. Uh, that's printed for you in your bulletin. You're welcome to turn there, obviously, in a Bible if you have one. As you're turning there, what does your relationship with food say about you? Um, you may be someone who thinks a whole lot about what you eat. You put a lot of thought into it. Uh, you may be someone who doesn't think at all about what you eat. Um, but surely there's some kind of thinking that goes into it. Um, if someone could get inside your mind as you prepared a meal, or as you go grocery shopping, or as you open the pantry for a snack, um, what's the thought process that's going on? Um, the way that we approach food is a really interesting window into our hearts. And Jesus is actually going to wade into this this morning as he talks about fasting. Fasting is a spiritual practice of abstaining from food for a certain amount of time. And you know, food is just one of the many topics that Jesus has addressed so far in this series that we're calling Following the Way, which we're taking some time to look at the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. We've been slowly kind of going verse by verse through this sermon. And he's talked about all kinds of areas of our lives, like our character and our money and our sexuality and our anger and our marriages and how we treat our enemies. And he's in this, in, in this section in chapter 6 right now where he's talking about what were known as these three pillars of religious life back in the day. Three pillars of religious life. It was praying, giving, and fasting. And we talked about the praying and the giving back um, before Christmas, back in the fall. Um, and we're, and we're going to pick up with his words on fasting today. This is Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray right now because we need your help to understand your word. Uh, we want to know more of you. We want to be different than, than, than who we are walking in this morning. We want to be transformed. We want to grow in our relationship with you. And we need your Holy Spirit to apply these words to our hearts and to our lives that we might really know you. So Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, in the corner of our backyard we have a shed. And the thing we love about this shed... Uh, is that when we no longer want something in our house but we're not quite ready to get rid of the thing... It goes to the shed. And so um, there's a common refrain that we will hear in our house where we'll say, you know, why don't we just put this in the shed for now and we'll figure out what to do with it later. And when that happens, over time, the shed starts to fill up with a lot of stuff. And uh, our shed is so full right now that it's difficult to walk into. And, um, you know, very occasionally, very, very occasionally, not, not often, um, I'll have the thought, like, I should probably clean out the shed. So that'd be a good thing to do. It'd be, it'd be good to get this organized, clean out, give a lot of this stuff away. We haven't seen some of this stuff in years. 
Uh, but then something else sort of, you know, takes the forefront of my mind, seems more important, so I don't clean out the shed and, and we just move on. But then, you know, maybe even more rare, I'll, I'll, I'll hear someone say something, you know, mention, yeah, I cleaned out my shed today, or I cleaned out my garage, or I cleaned out my attic. And I'll think, that's a really good idea. You know, I should go home, I should clean that shed out. It'd be great to clean the shed. Um, but then, of course, I kind of forget about it, put it on the back burner, and it never really gets done. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, this doesn't seem like that big a deal because no one goes back there. If you were to come to my house, you wouldn't go, you wouldn't go in the shed. You're not going to see the shed. No one knows about it. So it just doesn't feel like that big of a deal. It gets pushed to the side. Um, this is kind of how modern-day Christians think about fasting. Um, we don't think about it very, very often, but then occasionally we'll come across this passage like the one we read in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll think, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Fasting, I should do that. And maybe we'll hear a friend mention that they fasted and prayed about some big thing coming up in their life. We'll think, yeah, 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 that's, that's a pretty good idea. I, sh- I should do that. But then everything else feels so much more pressing and important, and we kind of put it on the back burner so we don't really think about it, and so we just don't really do it. Uh, what if... Um, rather than just being something that we sort of occasionally think about and even more rarely do, what if fasting could help us to connect with God in ways that we hadn't yet? Three questions this morning that I want us to think about from this passage. One, what is fasting? Two, why should we fast? And three, how should we fast? What, why, and how? First, what? What is fasting? Uh, fasting is when we abstain from food for a defined period of time in order to be close to God in prayer. It's when we abstain from food for a defined period of time in order to be close to God in prayer. Uh, it's choosing not to eat for a certain amount of time. It could be one meal, could be from sun up to sundown, could be a 24-hour period, could be longer, but it's also that we could be close to God. And the purpose is where Christian fasting is different than other forms of fasting. Prayer is almost always coupled together with fasting when you read about it in the Bible. Um, Christians fast in order to draw near to God in prayer. So it may be to pray about a specific thing, a big decision you have to make that's coming up, or a big event that you're anticipating or you're, you're anxious about. You might fast in repentance of some sin or struggle that you feel really convicted over or that maybe feels like this habitual struggle that you can't get rid of. And so you want to enter a time of fasting and prayer to really battle against that sin. Um, You may be in a season of, of real grief or mourning. And so you fast and pray as you go through that mourning process. Um, But there's always this element of drawing near to God in prayer uh, and being coupled together with fasting in Scripture. That's where it's different from something like intermittent fasting, which is, you know, fairly popular. That's that's more health-related, right? When you only eat during certain hours of a 24-hour cycle, and there are all these health benefits, uh, great thing to do. That's different than Christian fasting. Christian fasting is focused on spiritual health, not physical health. Those things are not totally unrelated, but you understand the distinction there. And, you know, even just uh, broaching the topic of fasting, it forces us to think about our relationship with food. Um, And that could be a really tricky thing. It could be a hard thing for some of us to talk about. Um, Food is not just food for us. We don't approach food neutrally. Why? 
Uh, the Bible says that all of humanity is fallen or broken because of our sin and rebellion against God. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Read about what happened in the garden. That messed everything up. Every single one of us broke our relationship with God, broke our relationship with each other, broke our relationship with ourselves and our world. And it affects everything, even how we approach our food, how we think about it. Um, we may view food as, as a source of comfort, where when life is really hard and we feel really stressed, we open the pantry or we go through the drive through because food is something that is a comfort to us. So we end up overeating, where it's, it, it, food soothes us from the hard things in our lives. We may view food simply as just calories, uh, and we don't want calories, and so we just try to avoid food at all costs. Food feels like the enemy to us, so we undereat. And we dread things like dinner parties or social gatherings where there's going to be food involved. And we have to figure out what to do with the food when it's put before us. Um, we may view food as fuel that helps us to perform athletically, where we just get, can get obsessive about just getting the right kind of fuel in our bodies to, to accomplish something that we're, that we're striving for. Um, we may value healthy living so much that we think critically about every single ingredient that goes in our body and we are not just reading the, the ingredient labels, you know, the nutrition labels on the food, but we are then Googling what all the stuff in the parentheses means on those labels and doing a deep dive on all that. And, and we can just get um, so obsessive and all-consumed with, with eating clean and what's in our ingredients. Or maybe we don't, just don't value healthy living at all and so... We never think about what we're putting into our bodies and, and so we're not eating healthy and we just kind of don't even care about it. You know, and then there's this adage of whether you are someone who eats to live or lives to eat. You know, is food just this pu purely utilitarian thing? You just kind of have to have it. Or is food life for you? It's feasting and culinary experience, getting the best you can get. Our relationship with food, it really does reveal something about our hearts and, and how we deal with our struggles and how we deal with pain and suffering and difficult things. And, and it may be something that you've been able to put words to before in your life. Um, or maybe you feel like, um, you know, something is off with your, how, with your approach to food. And maybe it feels like a little bit too dialed up and you've never really talked about it. And I'm just saying, if that's where you are, talk to a trusted friend. Uh, talk to someone about this and, and know that you're not alone. You know, we all have an interesting relationship with food. Um, but maybe you could even find a close friend here to talk to um, about it. Um, but, but if you feel unsure about how you're approaching food right now, that would be the recommendation. Reach out to someone. Because our fallen nature, it affects every area of our lives, including how we approach food. And it's worth just having that pretty significantly in the back of our minds as we think about Jesus' words on fasting. In our passage where Jesus is talking about fasting, this is not the first time fasting has come up in the Bible. The Bible mentions fasting something like 77 times. It's referenced all throughout. What's some of the biblical background? Um, the only required fasting day in the Old Testament was on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a really big deal each year where the priests would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Um, remember, Old Testament, Day of Atonement, people of God, this is before Jesus... And so what they had back then were promises that a Messiah, that a rescuer would come and save them from their sin. 
And so in the same way that we think about what Jesus did for us in the past, we look back on what Jesus did to put our faith in him. They were looking forward on what this Messiah would do for them in the future. And so they had things like the Day of Atonement, these visual, real sacrifices where they could see animals being sacrificed, blood being shed for their sin. And that sacrifice itself did not save them, but it was a symbol to say, hey, um, God's going to do something one day where we no longer have to sacrifice these animals. But as we look at this animal dying for our sins, we know there's a rescuer coming that's going to save us from our sin. And that was what happened on the Day of Atonement. And this was a big deal for God's people. And, and so they were um, to be humbled on that day and experience this affliction. And they would experience that by fasting. They were commanded not to eat on that day. As you get into the Psalms, as you read through the Psalms in the Old Testament, the psalmist talks about fasting and praying. And a lot of times it's when he's crying out. A really hard thing going on in his life, a really hard thing going on in the life of the collective people of God in the Old Testament. They're mourning and praying and fasting. When we get to the New Testament, it talks about Jesus and who he was and what it means to follow him. Do you know how Jesus starts his earthly ministry? He starts with fasting. He had roughly 30 years of growing up as a person before he started his public ministry that we have recorded in the Bible. And the thing that kicked off his ministry was him going to the desert and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. So a 40-day fast is a really big deal. And, you know, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 10 It says that uh, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, he was really, really hungry. Probably an understatement. Um, But we also see in scripture that fasting sometimes marks really important occasions that happen. In Acts uh, chapter 14, they were appointing elders for all the churches. We did that uh, during last year. We appointed elders. They were doing that for multiple churches in Acts. And you know how they did it? They did it with fasting and prayer to mark the occasion. Really big deal in the life of the church. How are we going to market prayer and fasting? It's all over the Bible. Those are just some of the highlights. The point is, in our text, fasting was common. It was common. It was known about. It was done. And Jesus hints at that. Look at our text. Notice what he says in verses 16 and 17. When you fast, um, just like with prayer and with giving, the assumption is that his followers are already doing this. And he contrasts this with the fasting of the hypocrites. These would have been the Pharisees, the religious people of the day. They would have fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. But what Jesus does, what Jesus always does, he gets at the heart behind what they're doing. And um, as he said the same thing to them about their praying and their giving, he's saying, don't do these things in order to impress people. The phrase is, don't do them in order... ...to be seen by others. Um, Don't do them for the show of it. Do these things because you love God. He's saying, hey, pray. But pray because you love God. Don't, Don't do so that you can impress people with your words... ...and how you sound when you pray. And he's saying give. But give because you love God... ...not so you can look like a really generous person to other people. And now he's saying fast. But fast because you love God... Not so you can look miserable and look like the super spiritual person who's not eating because of his devotion. Look at verse 16. When you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And, and we know this. When you don't eat, you feel hungry. And if you feel hungry for long enough, it can really take over your entire body where it's difficult to think about much else. And these Pharisees were making sure that people saw how miserable they were. Just so everyone knew they were being super spiritual here. Um, it's sort of like maybe the equivalent of, um, of intentionally sending a work email really late at night or really early in the morning just so the right people know that you were working really late at night or really in the morning, really early in the morning. Sure, you know, you're doing it because you're doing work, but, but maybe there's another motive there of wanting to be seen working those hours. And Jesus is saying, look, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do religious stuff to try to impress others, to try to be seen by others. Do this stuff because you love God. And so what does he say? Fast in secret. Do it in secret. Look like your normal self when you're fasting. Don't draw attention to it because the point of fasting is to draw near to God. And guess what? God sees you in secret. So this leads to the next question. Why? Why should we fast? We fast because we love God more than anything else and we want to grow in that love. Dan Doriani was a professor of mine in seminary. He wrote this outstanding commentary on Matthew's Gospel. You'll see that um, in that, the series references section. I try to put every resource I'm looking at in there for your benefit and to, so you know um, kind of where a lot of my thoughts are, are coming from. Uh, but, 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 but his chapter on fasting on, on this portion of the Sermon on the Mount was just incredibly formative for me this week. Listen to what Doriani says on why we fast. He says, we fast to show that we have a hunger that exceeds our hunger for food. We have a hunger that exceeds our hunger for food. Um, you know, when you're hungry, you have a one-track mind. You, I, I've been talking about food right before lunch. You're probably thinking about it right now. You've got a one-track mind for food. It's a need that it just feels all-encompassing. But Doriani is saying that when we fast, we realize that we are actually hungry for something more than food. We are hungry for God. Even after the best meal, you know what's going to happen. You're just going to get hungry again. It's never going to fully satisfy you. Our hunger is really for God. And fasting helps us realize this. And not just cognitively realize this, Fasting helps you physically feel this in your gut. It helps you feel your neediness for God. Doriana goes on to say, Our appetite for God can awaken if we deny ourselves some pleasures of the world, even honest ones, like food. That fasting can actually, as we deny the appetite for food, can awaken our appetite for God. He says it forces us to ask the question, Do I love God? Uh, do I hunger for God? Do I long for Him? And, you know, it's obviously this physical act. And, uh, you know, even just intentionally going, uh, with, going without one meal, you're going to feel that physically. And, and, and physically feeling that, it forces us to wrestle with uh, how, we, how much do we feel our need for God. You know, for many of us, we can get through life um, with most of our material needs met. Not true for all of us, but true for a lot of us. We can get through life without really thinking too hard about getting material needs met. Roof over our heads, food in the pantry, clothes on the body. Again, not all of us, but for a lot of us. 
over time, you can forget what it feels like to need anything at all. Um, you know, we're partnered with the Miracle Hill Rescue Mission downtown as a church. And the residents that are staying at the mission um, are typically there. They're coming from homelessness, typically, right off the streets. And they're trying to get back on their feet. And the first thing you realize when you interact with the, with the residents there is that they're really not that much different than you and I. Uh, typically, a, a few hard situations um, without a network of people to fall into has left them homeless. And so they find themselves in the shelter. But one, the, one, another thing that you realize is they have a very different category of what it means to need something than many of us do. Um, you think about some of the weather we've had lately, cold, rainy, miserable winter weather. You know, they're coming off uh, these streets and they, and they walk into the shelter, which, you know, may or may not look appealing. It's a room full of pretty mediocre bunk beds. Has an odor to it. Not the nicest place you've ever been. But when you're coming off the streets in the cold, in the rain, uh, sometimes getting in one of those bunk beds could be the difference between surviving through the night or not. And, you know, they're given a hot shower, hot meal to eat. They get to start this journey of someone walking alongside them, helping to rebuild their lives, they save up to, to get their own place again, find a steady job, find reliable transportation. These are all things that they don't have that they need and so can really recalibrate how you think about what it means to really need something. And when you have all those things at your disposal all the time, you can lose your sense of need. Um, Doriani quotes John Piper, another pastor, on the dangers of this. These are Piper's words. He says, The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. It's God's gifts. He says, The most deadly appetites are for the simple pleasures of the earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself... The idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. He's saying that we can find ourselves in a dangerous place when we're surrounded by just the simple pleasures of life. A great meal, prepared in a great home, after a day at a steady job, we've got a few friends, maybe we have a family, health is decent. Simple pleasures that can just slowly erode our appetite for God. Why? We can begin to forget that we actually need God. This is one of the primary ways that our sin attacks us. It's to try to force us to forget our need for God, that thinking that we can do life without Him. We don't actually need Him. So much so that we will actually, without realizing it, spend much of our lives trying to structure things in such a way where we just don't need God. Do you feel like you need God? Do you feel like you really need Him? Maybe you've had seasons where you don't. Things just seem pretty good. Maybe you have seasons where you do. You know, it's interesting. It, it seems like God has a way of keeping his thumb on us. Where there's, there's always a, at least, at least one area of our lives where we're really struggling and really hurting and really longing for more. Where he almost won't let us escape feeling our need for him. But maybe you're in a season of life where things feel pretty good and, and, and you're prone to maybe forget that you need God. Fasting helps us remember how much we need God. So if this is something that followers of Jesus are expected to be doing, how should we do it? Let's just talk practically about it. Quick disclaimer up front. Talk to a doctor if you have questions. This, I don't often say that while preaching. But talk to a doctor if you have questions uh, because it is a physical thing. Drink water, you know, simple things like that. Um, but you want to be in tune, obviously, with your physical body while you're fasting because it is a very physical act. But Doriani lays out some really practical wisdom 
that is based on this passage. And first thing is this, fast regularly. Rather than making it like the cleaning out of the shed that happens once every three years, do it regularly. Maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's quarterly. And obviously if if you've uh, never fasted before, it can be incredibly uncomfortable to start. It's not fun to begin with, but it's sort of like exercise. Stick with it. You will likely grow to really love that time with God, but do it regularly. What would it look like to build in a pattern of fasting? That's the first thing. Secondly, fast prayerfully. Remember, the point of fasting is to be near to God. It's to be near to God. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. So pray while you fast. You know, maybe there's a big thing coming up for you that you really need to be praying about. Maybe there's, there's a certain th- way you've really been struggling and, and, and you just really want to be intentional about bringing that before the Lord. So pray about that thing while you're fasting. In the year leading up to planting resurrection, this future church was one of two main things that I prayed for during a regular fast. I wonder if there's something like that on the horizon for you. Keep crying out to God over and over, maybe about a couple big things on your radar as you fast. Maybe that time of prayer is just time spent delighting in God. Where as, as you feel your, physically feel your stomach grumbling for food, telling you that you need food, you turn that into a prayer to God, just celebrating how good he is, that he's all that you need, that you love him and you want to love him more. The thing we, we say, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's the prayer that you pray. Um, praying during fasting can be some of the richest and most intimate prayer that you'll ever have. So fast regularly, fast prayerfully. Third, Fast secretly. It's kind of Jesus' main point on the topic here. Whatever you do, whenever you do it, don't do it to show off. Don't do, do it secretly. Don't do it so you can find a way to mention it to others. Maybe avoid the, the, the social media selfie of how hungry you are holding up the empty plate. Um, maybe don't do that. The, and, you know, the, the more secret it is, the more special it can be. Fast secretly. Fast with others. There might be a time to fast with others. There are a lot of um, sort of community fasts in Scripture. Groups of Christians all praying and fasting about a specific thing. Acts 13, the church in Antioch, they fasted and prayed together before they sent off Saul and Barnabas to continue their mission. Maybe your neighborhood group could fast and pray together about something leading up to someone's surgery or maybe a big event. Maybe we as a church could do this in the future. We could... We could do a church-wide uh, prayer and, and fasting leading up to, to something that God might be doing. So fast with others. Fifth thing, fast humbly. Fast humbly. Doriani says that fasting is a means to an end. Saying goodbye to the power of our possessions so that we may give ourselves to the reign of God. It's this physical practice that, that invites us into deeper humility. Where you can't help but feel how weak and needy and dependent and desperate you are when you feel that hunger inside of you. Fasting can also really help us grow in areas of self-control. I remember hearing a pastor um, during an interview talk about how if you're, if you're struggling with sins of overindulgence in your life, could be something like overspending or um, a, a struggle with, with lust or pornography, something like that, something that you are doing that you want to stop doing, Fasting can help you in that area. It can help you in that area to begin to to learn what it means to go without and to trust God to fill you as you go without. It's an intentional practice of self-control. 
Look at verse 18. Verse 18, it says that our Father who sees us fasting in secret will reward us. What's the reward for fasting? The reward is getting to be near God while you fast. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. This is the reward and this is the thing that all of us really are after. It's the thing behind the thing when we are chasing all that the world has to offer us. Because it's never the created thing that satisfies us. You know that. It's always beyond the thing. It's the creator himself. He is what we're after. One of my favorite icebreaker conversations is to ask people to describe their perfect meal. Maybe it's an amazing meal experience they've had in the past. Certain restaurant, a certain city with certain people, certain occasion. Maybe it's a dream meal. They've always dreamed about eating with these people at this place at this time for this special thing. I love it. I love just hearing the whole experience described down to the detail of what they had in the meal. But even that greatest meal experience would never be enough. Eventually the meal is going to end. The people are going to go home. You're going to be hungry again. And um, it's this way with every experience that life can offer us. A relationship. Any kind of pleasure. Any kind of success. Any amount of money. More behave, better behaved kids. A better marriage. Whatever it's going to be. That thing is never going to be enough. Jesus says... I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is offering the thing that will satisfy. The thing that will not leave you wanting. The thing that will fulfill you. What is it? It's himself. He is the bread of life. He is what you need. You do not need anything else apart from Jesus. And fasting helps us remember that. Throw yourselves at the feet of Jesus today. Uh, Turn from whatever it is you are looking to for fulfillment and turn to Jesus. And come and be filled by the bread of life where you will never again hunger or thirst. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you see us even in our longings and desires. You created us human. You created us to need food. And you created some food that tastes amazing. But even that food is not the thing we were made for. We were made for you. And you came after us in the person of Jesus, the bread of life, so that in believing we may be fully satisfied and never be hungry and never be thirsty again because we know Jesus who is our everything. God, help us to taste that as we prepare to come to this table. In Jesus' name, amen.